0: Leave it there. Guys, this morning we're continuing our series called, What on Earth Are We Here For? We're trying to get clarity around our mission and around our vision. So the difference there is that the mission is the big statement. Think of it as the catch-all statement where we're saying, God, what have you called us individually and us as a church to, right? So we've, we've spoken about this. We should know this already. We are called. Our mission is to be filled. It's on your bangle if you forget at any point. Here they are. To be filled and to fill Stellenbosch with the hope and the life of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. And then we're going week by week and we've got seven things that we feel God has said to us. These things, if you pay attention to these things, they are going to help you in the power of the spirit building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. These things will help us achieve our mission. And week one, we spoke about the very basics, proclaiming the gospel. This is our call to proclaim the gospel, and we're trying to leave you with practical handles. There were four things in that sermon that help us to say, well, how do I start? Well, this is how you start. You can go back and have a listen to that. Week two, we spoke about making mature disciples. Well, what happens when we go and proclaim the word and people come to know Jesus? What do we do then? Well, then we begin to let God make us mature and to help others to become mature, and we teach and we walk alongside, and all of these Um, different things, right? And then last week, I was away wonderfully in the Kruger with my little seven-year-old. We have a a family tradition that dates back to when my daughter is now 14. When they turn seven, they go on a coming-of-age trip with dad, and they choose their best friend, and I invite the best friend's dad, and it just so happened that that best friend was little Sam Olhart, and so Bates and I were in the Kruger last week. Um, But via screen, I came to you and we spoke about the Spirit and the Word, and how there's this broken dichotomy that we do not see in Scripture. We do not see a separation. And One Hope, there was a, there was a warning in that message for us. I was trying as, as gently as I could, in a fatherly way, to say, One Hope, we need to be careful. We are drifting into the space where the Word and the Spirit, in, in our theology, in, our, in our, what we say, is still completely together. But in our practice, we're seeing a break. We're seeing a movement away, and we need to be thoughtful, and we need to be careful. So this morning we come to our fourth point, and this is really about being a sending church. It's about a a church that has a bigger vision than just us. A church that's got a much wider heart than just for the people sitting here this morning and any others that God may add to us. And there's a lot of different ways this can play out. And the, the direct vision point, if you've got the seven and you're trying to follow me in this series, the direct vision point for us is raising, sending, and blessing beyond ourselves. That's the vision. That's the action that we want to say. Are we, are we doing this? Are we raising up? Are we sending out? And are we blessing beyond Now my first goal, guys there's so many ways I looked at trying to bring this message through to you today and eventually I felt in prayer to settle on a response to the generosity of God is what I want to speak about. I want to. I want us to look at how God is this most generous God, and that in response, as we see His generosity, that something in us, my prayer, as I'm thinking through this morning and praying through this morning, my prayer that is as I preach God's Word, something in your heart would be ignited by the Holy Spirit, something would get so excited in your heart, at the generosity of our Father toward us, that you'd be sitting there going, tell me what to do. Tell me how to respond. Tell me what I can do in response to this generous father who's poured out his blessings on me. So I'm gonna take a little bit of time and I want us, I just want us to get how critical it is that we respond from that place. From that place. I have a picture in my mind of that. Have any of you seen the movie Up? Fantastic movie. And the guy connects his house, this old man wants to go to these falls, and he connects his house to these thousands of helium balloons. And it's so, so many, as he releases them, they lift this whole house off the ground, it pops away from its foundations, and off it floats. And anyway, it's a long, a long story, but a beautiful, beautiful animated movie. And I had a sense as I was praying that in some sense, those balloons are like our legalism. I know it's a, a, a nice movie I'm telling you about, but a negative picture. But like the way that we give and the way that we respond is often in a legalistic way. It's often in a way that, well, I have to because if I give, then I know that God's going to give me back. Or I give because of this or because of that. Selfish reasons, all sorts of things. And I just felt in prayer that God wants to come and begin to cut those legalistic balloons away from us. We function in them so much, especially if you're Afrikaans this morning. I know it's across all our families, but especially those of you who've grown up in Afrikaans homes, this can be such a strong thing. Such a strong thing that we do it because we're Christian. We do it because the Bible says so. And yes, we do, but we do it in response to grace. We do it in response to a vision of the generosity of our God. Are you with me? Okay. So I want us to see why we go when he says go. I want us to see why we speak blessing when actually cursing would be a more realistic Response to the situation that we are facing. I want us to see why we believe that carrying the good news of Jesus is the greatest blessing our world could ever, ever receive. I'm going to use the word generous a lot. I'm going to use the word lavish a lot. I'm going to use lots of superlatives and all of them feel completely inadequate. As I've been prepping, I've struggled with, with trying to put into words with my efforts to adequately explain just how generous God is. And the best I can come, with, come up with is that it's not something He does. It's something He is. God is generous to His core. In His being, God is generous. So you know when the Bible says God is love, it doesn't say God just loves. It doesn't say He shows love. It doesn't say He feels love. It says God is love. In His character, He is love. It's it's. He's, it's like you inhabit your skin, or like you, you can't breathe without your lungs. Like you can't, you can't, I can't breathe a breath without my lungs. It's like that. God can't be God without being generous, without being love. Does that make sense? Now let me try and help us see through God's word. I'm going to just do seven points around God's generosity. And the first one is this, God's generous Pursuit. God's generous pursuit. So you go back into God's word, and you start right in the beginning, and you'll see the story of man, and man falls and breaks away from God. Man says, I'll be God, I'll be king. And right at the beginning, God begins this pursuit. A friend of mine, a worship leader once said to me, if this is a cosmic game of hide and seek, we are the hiders, and God is the seeker. It's not us seeking God. It's God pursuing us. It's God seeking us. So you look at the story of Noah. And God calling this man and the covenant he makes with Noah. It's God pursuing him. You look at Abraham. It's God pursuing him. He takes, Abraham's a sun worshiper. And God comes and says, I'm going to take your family and I'm going to make a nation of 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 Christ followers or God followers that later become Christ followers through you. Look at Moses and the Exodus. You look at David, the prophets, etc. And then you come through to the New Testament and you begin to see Jesus pick up this idea in a very, very radical way that we get used to because we've got a kid's church. We get very used to Jesus' parables. It's ridiculous that you would leave 99 healthy, good sheep that haven't done anything wrong to chase after the one. And yet that's what Jesus says. Have you seen that? I don't know if you guys have had that thing forwarded to you recently. Or a, it's a video of a shepherd pulling a sheep out of a, there's like a long trench. Has anyone seen this? And the shepherd is like working and working to get this sheep out. And after about 30 seconds, he manages to finally get the sheep out. And the sheep does about four big jumps. And then head first again, boom, into the trench. It's a fantastic video. That's us. That's us. Or you think of Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son. Squandering inheritance. Squandering what his father has given him. Sitting among the pigs and realizing, oh my goodness, all this time. All I really wanted was my father. And he goes home. And you know the story of the the oldest son and how angry he gets. Because he's like, but I'm the good one. I went to One Hope every Sunday for 25 years. This guy's been on drugs and doing this and doing what. what How come he gets the fattened calf? Right? God's generous pursuit. And guys, to understand this. To understand this in its rightful place, we have to tackle something cultural here. Because culturally, I'm taught from, from the day that I'm born, I'm taught that God somehow sees me as incredibly special, which He does. And He sees me as very unique, which He does. All of these things are intention. But somehow, I've come to this conclusion in my mind that actually I deserve God's saving. Why wouldn't He save me? Of course He had saved me. I'm great. That is not the picture of Scripture. The picture that Scripture paints for us about who we are is that you are dead. Dead people smell. Dead people rot. This is the truth. This is Ephesians. You were dead in your sin. Now you have been made alive in Jesus Christ. It speaks about separation from God, far from God. You go to the Psalms. It says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Above all things, anything that you can find to deceive you, your own heart is more deceitful. You think about Acts. Chapter seven, one of my favorite passages of scripture, the first martyr post the death of Jesus Christ. And Stephen, this guy, this is what he says. He turns to, he turns to the Israelites and this, this is God's chosen people that he's speaking to. You stubborn people! So no wonder this guy got killed when you read. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. He says, name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, who you betrayed and murdered. You went one step further than even your ancestors. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. And it says they put their hands over their ears, and they ran at him, and they killed him. This is the picture that Scripture paints of who we are. And we've got to detach ourselves from the Western worldview that somehow God ought to save me because I'm actually intrinsically pretty good. And we need to reattach ourselves to the biblical view that actually this is who I am. And as we see that, oh my goodness, then we suddenly see the gracious, generous hand of God in his pursuit of us. There's a beautiful poem. Some of you may have read this poem by Francis Thompson, The Hound of Heaven. Anyone know that poem? Profound poem. You can go and read all the verses. I'll just read one of them for you. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind, and in the midst of tears I hid from him an under running laughter. Upvisted hopes I sped. And shot, precipitated, a down titanic glooms of chasm and fears. You can go and read this and think about it a little bit. For those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat, more insistent than the feet, all things Betray thee, who betrayest me? The pursuit of God, chasing after this man Francis Thompson. God's generous pursuit. Secondly, God's generous inclusion. You ever thought about why you're sitting here today? Quick question: How many people of Jewish origin? Who, how many Jews? Hands up. Not one? Okay, it's interesting. Generosity of God's inclusion. You, you, you look right back at when God starts pursuing mankind, creating a nation called Israel, that he can hold up as a beacon of, ho- of hope to the watching nations of the world. That he can say, this is, there's a true God. There's a God who's interested in the affairs of men. That's what the point of Israel being held up is. And what does he do right at the beginning? He goes to Abraham at, at the inception of this nation, and he says, all people. Will be blessed through you. He goes to Moses in the Exodus and he says, The the sojourners, the foreigners, care for them, look after them. When you go and study the story, you'll see it's not just Israelites leaving, it's tons of refugees with them. This is God's heart from the very beginning. You read the prophets. Isaiah speaks about this mountain, the highest mountain of all, the most important place on earth. And this is what it says and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. Think about Acts and Peter at Cornelius' house. I'm I'm going fast today. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant, all right? So we're just just doing sweeps of the Bible. I'm trying to show you God's generosity and all of this. But you think about Acts, and this is the guys who've been with Jesus, and they still don't don't get it. And Peter has to have this vision again and again and finally he goes to the Gentiles. And while he's just doing what I'm doing, just preaching, suddenly the Holy Spirit falls. And I've often wondered, well why did the Spirit just fall? There's no asking for it, there's no kind of praying. I don't think Peter would have laid hands on them. These were the Gentile unclean. And you can see that when you go further in Acts and see how he defends himself. Because he starts taking heat from the Christians about the fact that the Holy Spirit has now been poured out on Gentiles. And he says, guys, what was I supposed to do? I didn't plan this. I didn't put. I didn't lay hands. I didn't do anything. I was just preaching and the Spirit of God fell. And then it says, and then the people marveled and they said, well, surely then even the Gentiles have been included. This is the New Testament and God's generous inclusion. Ephesians, one man from two. And he speaks Ephesians. Paul speaks at length about how the Gentile and the Jew and in friction with one another and how God comes and builds them into one man, into one temple that God himself can indwell. Why are you here today? You're here as a non-Jew because of God's generosity. Because God, in the very beginning, said, I have a vision for all of you. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue that we'll see in that Revelation text, standing before the throne room of God, worshipping together with every single ethnos, every single culture, language, people. This is our God. What about, we haven't even got to God's generous mercy and forgiveness I dealt with this at length a few weeks ago when we were speaking about proclaiming the gospel. I wanted to do a similar thing. I wanted us to get the heart of God for people who are lost. And I spoke out of Isaiah 55. Is anyone thirsty? Is anyone hungry? Jesus says, is anyone troubled? Are any of you carrying burdens? This is the This is the criteria to come to God. This is the criteria. I was chatting on the plane this last week, coming back from the Kruger with a Hindu guy. And I was asking him some questions around his faith. And I said, well, well what makes you sure? What, how do you know that you're going to get to your next state of reincarnation? And he said, I must be. I must do. And he began to tell me about everything he has to follow and all the laws he had to keep. And I turned and I said, do you know what the difference is in what, what, what we believe? It's done. It's done. It's finished. We don't have to do anything because I just... I can't. I, I, I don't know how you do that, but I can't. And Isaiah 55 lays out these criteria, is anyone thirsty? And then it says, come, come, you who don't have money, you who can't, you who don't have the strength, c- come and drink. It's free. And then he doesn't just say, here's a, here's a little glass. You know, here, you're in the desert, you're about to die. Here, just keep yourself alive. He speaks about rivers of living water flowing to us. This abundance, generous God. He says, are you hungry? He says, I've prepared the finest food for you. God, a sandwich would have been okay. No, 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 no. I've got wine. I've got milk, which we spoke in that sermon about, and you can go and, you can go and listen to that. We we spoke about how God speaks in that text in Isaiah of how he, how, how the word, the word of God is like rain that goes out indiscriminately over the whole world. He pours out his rain and then how there's these thorns and they turn into beautiful cypress trees. Those are those beautiful kind of green, very nice shape trees, teardrop kind of shape trees. And he speaks about the nettles, which is when you're walking up on the mountain and you get those things that sting you, those are nettles. And he says how those turn into myrtles. Myrtle's that beautiful lollipop evergreen tree that springs out the most beautiful pink and red blossoms and has the most wonderful smell. And and the point of all of this, I'm not just getting agricultural on you. The point of all of this is that you're the thorn. I'm the nettle. That God comes in his rain and makes new things grow in our lives. And we spoke about how plants just spring up everywhere. And we gave you seeds. How's your how are your seeds doing? Have you planted your seeds? Are they springing up yet as a reminder that we are the carriers of this gospel? How how has God blessed us so unstingily? Man, I'm a stingy person. How has he blessed us so open-handedly? The scriptures just speak over and over again about the riches and the wealth and the abundance of God. Are you getting the picture? And then we haven't even got to... So we've spoken about a God who pursues us. We've spoken about a God who includes us. We've spoken about a God full of mercy and forgiveness. But we haven't even got to the normal generosity things. What are the normal... Like if I say, "Yo, oh, Bates is such a generous guy. What would you immediately think? Money? Or give me something else. That's exactly the one I want. There's another one. No, not time. That's not what, you don't think when I say he's generous, you think, oh, yeah, he gave me a coffee date. You don't think that. Gifts. You think he gave me something. So he gave me money, or he gave me gifts, all right? And so those are the common things that we, that we think about. Now, you go and read Matthew 6, and I'm not going to spend any time on this. You go and read it. Matthew 6 speaks about the provision for those who serve God. Those who will take and seek his kingdom first, he says, I will provide. And it's, it's specifically, it's, it's, it's clearly financial. He speaks about food and about clothing. He says, don't worry about these, not like the luxuries, right? Not like your special shower gel. This is like your food. Your clothes. Where are you going to live? And he says, "I'm going to care for that." This is a generous God. I want to speak briefly about gifts. So that was number four, by the way. Look, I did that one really fast, so that's good. God's generous provision. Number five, God's generous gifts. Have you ever wondered? Suspense. Yeah, more suspense. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why the spiritual gifts are called spiritual gifts? Sometimes we get so clever and we just forget to read the words and just to think, I love gifts. Don't you? I love my birthday. This week... A friend of mine phoned me, one of my closest friends. Those of you who don't know, I'm a Liverpool fanatic. I have been for most of my life. I love Liverpool to a point where the Lord has to sometimes tell me to stop watching them because it's a bit idolatrous, and I had to stop for a whole year once, and that was not a good experience. So now I keep it on the down low a little bit. I'm going to a conference in the UK in May, and a, a very close friend of mine phoned me, and he said, Paulus? I said, yes. He said, wasn't it your 40th birthday in December? I said, yes. He said, you'll never believe what I've got. Tottenham, Liverpool, tickets for us. The third last game of the season. And I'm like, Lord, keep it down, keep it down. Keep it down, keep it down, keep it down. down." But this this is how we respond to gifts. And yet when it comes to the spiritual gifts... And we read 1 Corinthians 12 and it speaks about words of knowledge and prophecy and preaching. And we go to Ephesians 4 and we speak about apostles and teachers and pastors. And these gifts that God gives to the church, somehow, somehow, I don't know how we've got there, but somehow we start to think of these things in a negative way. We start to think about the mechanics of how it works and who does this and how we do this. And, and those things are so important. I'm not. I'm not saying those things are unimportant, but they are not the most important. The most important is that God loves His church loves her so much and so wants to bless her and to encourage her and to make her strong and to secure her that he says, I'm giving you gifts among you, all of us, all of us. The moment I'm functioning in my gift of preaching and you're functioning in your gift of listening, which is great. But actually, God has placed spiritual gifts in every single believer. Do we believe that? We focus so much on how... We receive the Holy Spirit and we seem oblivious to the fact that there's so little evidence of power and of Him working in fruitfulness in our lives. I want to call us to flip it around. Good gifts. And now, the last three. So that's the first, how many was that? Five, four, five. Only two to go. The last two. I want to focus more explicitly on our topic for today. Are you, are you feeling like, wow, oh, God is generous? No? <laughs> are you feeling like, wow, God is generous? You don't have to be. I mean, I'm just, I'm asking. I'm genuinely asking. That's what I'm praying this week, that God would stir our hearts. That we're saying, Lord, we want to respond. But our vision point more explicitly is raising, sending, and blessing beyond ourselves. That this generosity that has been turned on us, that somehow we're a mirror, a reflection that's going, hey world, guess what I got? I'm going to pour generosity over my family, over my wife, over our children, over our church, over whatever it may be, my finances, my time. I just want to live this generous outward life because I've seen it to me. Right? So let's talk about raising. And in the in this context of what we're speaking about now i'm going to call it god's generous restoration i want you to turn in your bibles with me to isaiah 61 this is a participation part all right i want you to read in little groups maybe fours or fives Won't you read isaiah 61 verse 1 through to let's see where we're going verse 3 verse 1 to 3 and then i want you to do just don't go there yet just wait a second i want you to do two things for me There's six terrible positions that these people are in, in this text. So once you've read it, just point out the six terrible things that are going on in these people's lives. And then the second part is this. Who are these people? Who is this text talking to? Go for it. All right, so are we done there? Mostly done, nearly done. Okay, let me read it for us. The Spirit... Come back together, guys. Let's read together. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released, that prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for His own glory. So give me the six things. Just throw some of them throw some of them out. What are the six terrible positions these people are in? They're poor. It's the first one. They're broken-hearted. It's the second one. Captives. that means like what we're seeing right now in the war going on. it's prisoners of war or captivity. The next one. prisoners. So prisoners is different to captives because prisoners are something you've done wrong. You've gone to prison. right? These are prisoners. The next one? Those who mourn. And the last one? Those who despair. Those who've lost hope. Those who are in a place of despair. Now, I want to ask the second question. Who are these people? Who are they? Well... Someone give me something from Scripture. Come on. It's the, Bible. the Bible is our book. Is it the Israelites? Because we're not Israelites. Is it, is it just the Israelites? So if you go to Luke chapter 4, do you remember that Jesus opens the scroll and it says this was the text that he read. He read Isaiah 61 and he only read those three verses on the record that we have from Luke, the physician. And then it says Jesus simply said, he sat down and then he said, today... These words are fulfilled in your hearing. I, in other words, Jesus, saying, I am here to bring fulfillment to these words. So he's saying that what I'm going to do, the life that I'm going to lead, is going to set captives free. Is going to comfort those who mourn. And then do you notice at the end of this text, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture in the whole Bible. I, I just love this, love this, love this. Who who becomes, just think of this picture. That, I mean, it's again agricultural. You, you've got to get in touch with the agricultural side. God, the Bible is so full of, of agriculture. It's amazing. But who, who are these oaks of righteousness? Think about an oak. We're in Ekerstadt. We've got, this is a town of oaks. Think about these huge trees that have grown up. And he says there's going to be these great, these, these oaks, these great oaks, he calls them, of righteousness planted for the Lord's glory. Who are those? Who are they in this text? Who are they? The poor, the captive, the prisoner, the broken hearted, the despairing. It's taking them This is the generosity of our God in restoring you. Jesus is not just speaking about Israel. He's not just speaking about the people in Isaiah's time who have come and died. He's speaking about his ministry to every single believer that he wants to restore us so that one day, Sarah Lloyd, we will say, you are an oak of righteousness in this house. And God has a story of grace upon your life. Ali, I nearly phoned you this week and said, would you do a testimony? At some point, you need to give us a testimony of your life story. We need to hear it because you're a trophy of God's grace. And we could go around this room, person after person, and look at evidential or evidence of God's trophies of this exact thing that we read in Isaiah 61. So the generosity of God pursuing us, of God including us, of God pouring mercy and forgiveness on us, of his financial generosity, all of these things, and then his restoring generosity. And this is what he says. You were dead. Can't get any stronger. But I raised you up just as I raised Jesus from the dead. Are you following me? It's so beautiful. He literally raises us up. If there's one thing Josh Groban has right, it's that. You raised me up. My wife walked down the aisle to that song, so I never want to hear you tuning it. It's a beautiful song. Raising and sending and blessing beyond ourselves. We are talking about this God raising people up, and then that gets coupled with us. We have a job here. We have a role. Go back and listen to Making Mature Disciples. How do we couple? How do we come in the power of the Spirit alongside what God is doing in restoring people And help raise people up in our midst. Students, if you're a student with us, this is a specific vision for us. We believe God's given you to us for three to five years. Some of you, God bless you for your failures. You're going to stay with us for seven years. Wonderful. So good for you to have time in our congregation. Right? We believe specifically that God has sent you to us, that we can raise you. That we can raise you. The Spirit of God is doing it, and we want to partner with Him in raising you. All right, let me skip some of these things for the sake of time. How do we do this practically at One Hope? I'll remind you quickly that the three key areas that we spoke about in mature disciple making. Number one, we devote ourselves personally. This begins here. My heart, my bedroom, my prayer. We encourage one another into habits of grace. Secondly, we encourage one another. We devote ourselves to the public gathered space. This is the easy space, guys. Be at church on a Sunday, join our prayer meetings, join a life group, whatever it may be. This is the pattern of our lives. Do we have to be here every week? Of course not. I went to the Kruger last week, right after preaching that, right? But the pattern of our lives is toward the people of God. And then the third thing is that we devote ourselves, we commit in our hearts to being. Do you remember we had the the metaphor of the baton? And how the baton has passed from generation to generation, right from Jesus to his disciples, to the next person, to the next person, to the next person, to the next person, until one day, someone passed it on to me. Someone passed it on to you. And that's the third commitment in our heart, is that we're saying, God, we're going to be devoted to being disciple makers, people who carry your baton. We did that little exercise where I said, how many people here are actively discipling someone? Quite a few hands, not too many. Then I said, how many of you would like to be discipled? Way more hands. It's a problem of maths. More people want to be discipled than are discipling. We've got to change that. We have to ask these questions. We've got to change it. So that, that is what I wanted to say around God's generous raising up. And then let me conclude by speaking about God's generous sending. This is where we're going to finish this morning. God's generous sending. Guys, there is no greater example I can take us to than the life of Jesus. I cannot take us to a more dramatic experience of someone being sent from one place to another. I want you to think about this let me actually before I do that, let me read a text for you. Just turn with me to Philippians chapter two. It's my favorite text showing this aspect it says, "You must have the same attitude. That Christ Jesus had. And in shorthand. It explains what Jesus does. It says though he was God. And you can just stop for one quiet time. And think about that. He did not think of equality with God. As something to cling to. Something to. Help him escape the call. That he knew that was upon his life. He didn't think of his Godness. As something to. Avoid. Instead. Instead of that, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross and of all the points that I've made about the generosity of God to stir our hearts today, I want this one is the greatest of all generosity. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the original missionary. Guys, when you, when you stop and think about this, think, think about God calling you to the most, what's, like, what's the least like you culture that you could go to? Think Just in your mind, try and think about the country or the place that God could call you to that was so far removed from your culture, so difficult to understand, so far away. I'm guaranteeing you right now that it was a greater divide for Jesus to come to earth and to press himself into the form of a man. And then to die and to be manhandled and killed by these People that he came to save who didn't understand. So sure, you might say, yeah, there's missionaries who are martyred today. Absolutely, there are. But those missionaries have Jesus standing before the throne of God, interceding for them. Those missionaries have the smile of the Father upon them. They don't have God turning, his Father, Father, why have you turned your face away from me? They don't have the sins of all the world piling onto them as they die. Nothing compares To the generosity of what we see, the task that Jesus fulfills on our behalf. Why did he do that? You should know it by now. Exceeding, abundant, extravagant, unstingy, open-handed, rich, and full generosity. We know this. John 3.16. Guys, we learned this. Many of us learned this as little piccaninnies. We learned this text, right? For God so loved. What's his motive? For God so loved that He what? What did He do? That he, that he gave. That He sent Jesus to this world. This is the motive. So how, how, friends, do we respond? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess at how we respond to the generosity of God. It's, it says it for us. We're going to give you a little piece of paper that says this just now. But John 20, verse 21, Jesus says, Peace be with you, speaking to His disciples. And then He says, As the Father has sent me... So I am sending you. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to go. Matthew 28, same story. We've been speaking about that, the Great Commission. And then it says Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Why did he do that? Because we need power. Because we can't just go. It's hard. We need the powering of the Holy Spirit. Well, if we go, with what message? What message do we take? Romans 10 is what it says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the message we go. Everyone, are you tired? I'm exhausted. Are you weary? I'm so tired of my own sin. Are you broken? Are you poor? Are you a prisoner? Have you sinned? Are you in captivity? Great. I've got a message for you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Think about that guy that you think, God, I would at least like that person in the whole world to be saved. That boss, that parent, that whatever it is that that has got that unforgiveness in your heart, think about that person and think about the gospel coming and saying, I love that person. Think about Hitler. Think about Putin this week. And think about the gospel coming and saying, everyone. That's hard, but that's that's our good news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And then it continues and says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? How can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And one hope, our mandate is to send. And what do we send with? We send with the greatest blessing you could ever have. It's better than coming with a new keyboard or money or any other things that people might say they need in their context. We come with the message and the power of Jesus Christ. And we say, everyone. Everyone can come. The greatest blessing we could ever carry. Generosity always has been and always will be wrapped up in the generosity of God the Father, displayed through the sending of Jesus to our world and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon us. That's what we need to know. That any raising up that we do, Any sending that we do, any saying yes to Jesus, I want to go, that you do. Any new missionaries in our midst that God calls to go. Any preacher that God raises in our midst. Anything, 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 any blessing that we bestow upon anyone is only because God raised us up. Because God sent Jesus to me, to you, to our world and that we bless in the power of the Holy Spirit with the most wonderful news. I think you've got it. Have you got it? Let me finally close with how do we do this practically? Just a few practical things. I think the most important thing that I want to say, uh, apart from that we do it in response to the generosity of God, which I think I've made that point so many times this morning. The first thing that I want to say is that we are all sent Turn to the person next to you and would you just do me a favor and just say, do you know that you are sent? Would you do that? <laughs> so my question, my question for you this morning is, is, do you? Do you know? Have you forgotten? Have you remembered? Do you wake up in the morning and say, Father, send me? This is, my, this is my challenge to us. Guys, some of you, God's called you to nations. We have in our hearts a stirring that God is going to raise up men and women to, to reach unreached people groups, to reach nations that haven't yet been reached for Jesus. We have a stirring in our heart that within Stellenbosch, God would plant churches. We've spoken about this. God is raising you up. Some to South Africa, some to nations. Some of you need to hear this. Your neighbors need Jesus. Have a bride. Build some relationships. Some of you need to hear that your workplace needs Jesus. And you've forgotten. You're a businessman. You're a businesswoman. You're a corporate guy. You're going in. You're doing the thing. You're making money for your family. Wonderful. God bless you. Have you you remembered everyone carrying the message of Jesus? Have we remembered? Some of you, I want to just set some moms in the house free. Stay-at-home moms. I don't think we have a stay-at-home dad. If we do, bless you as well. But some of the moms in the room. If, if I look at our family, we've got five little children. If I had to say, Lord, would you multiply us five times? Would we see five people come to know you in our lifetime? I want more than that, but let's just say I just said, God, I want five. The five that I'm going to be asking for are my children. Those are my primary disciples. Those are the uh, guys, I love you, but I'll take my children over any single one of you. Five children. So I want to say that to my wife over and over again, my babes, if you this is your focus. This is our focus. And that can just set us free. We don't have to think about going to Indonesia or Papua New Guinea. Yes, God's going to call us. there. wonderful. But our first place is to our home, to our children. Don't, don't despise those small things. There's nothing greater or more necessary than we can do with our lives than to be involved in any way we can with the telling of the good news. Your primary focus might be financing it. Praise the Lord. You might pray for it. Praise the Lord. You might be called to go and do the preaching. Praise the Lord. You might be the best evangelist that that sports field has ever seen at your school. Where you stand and you watch your kid play soccer or cricket. But you're making friendships that somewhere, somehow, you've remembered. I need to share the gospel. I need to share the gospel. So this is what I want you to leave with. Everyone. Tell it. Everywhere. Everyone. Guys, I can point to lots of specific examples. François Nrelin. Indonesia, a couple that we support monthly, planted from among our new-gen midst. Their daughter with us, sitting somewhere here, doing her internship with us this year, sitting right at the back, over there. You're an intern. Rebecca is on staff. You're supposed to be right here. (laughs) Wonderful. Praise God for these guys who've taken little young children over into another nation. Thank you, Jesus. I can tell you about Becca Sangren, Becca we support month after month, who's one of our own students. He only joined us during COVID, so many of you wouldn't even know her. She's at, at OM, Oper- Operation Mobilization, up in Joburg. She feels God's called her to Greece. And so she's busy preparing and studying. I could tell you about the extension of Zach. You look just like your brother. Josh and Carmen, who've just recently gone up to Kruenstadt of all places. Pioneering a brand new calling academy, a school that we're passionate about. Resourcing and reaching people who are under-resourced. Wonderful examples from within our midst. I could tell you about the mission that Stefan's going to lead to Zimbabwe on the 2nd or 3rd, somewhere around the day of July. Guys, this is an incredible opportunity. I could tell you about Serve Clutusville. If you can't go to Zim, we're doing one right here, right over there. Serve Clutusville. We're doing holiday clubs and we do a mission in the July holidays. We could speak about Serves Stellenbosch. We could speak about Advance, the network that we're part of. And that in the last few years, we've planted in Istanbul. We've planted in Madagascar. There's plants going on in India. There's plants going on in the USA, which you might think, well, there's so many Christians there. Guys, Africa needs to send missionaries back to post-Christian Europe and to post-Christian America. We need to. They sent to us. We've got a response to send back. And then I want to make sure that you don't think it's just the dramatic Every one of us, coming Sunday after Sunday, being raised up, saying, "God send me, God send me, God send me." I think you've got it. I think you've got it. Well done, proud of you guys. So we're going to do communion in a moment, but before we do that, I wanted to demonstrate, and we spoke this through as elders. How do we demonstrate to this congregation? You know, we've been saying, we "Want to put something in your hands." Nearly every week, most weeks, we want to put something in your hand that you can remember. So this was one of our first weeks, these, these reminders that we had to fill Stellenbosch with the hope and life of Jesus. We gave you some seeds to plant to remind you of the proclamation of the gospel, how it springs up. This morning, we're going to give you money, right? Literally, we're going to give you some money, each of you. And the goal with this money is to remind us of the blessing of the Father, that the Father has blessed us so we... So we bless. So I'm sending you out. I'm commissioning you this week. This money is not for you. I didn't conclude yet. This money is not not a lot of money. It's just a very small token, small amount of money that you're going to take. And this week, I want you, each of you to prayerfully say, Father, who needs this? Who can I bless? And as you give that money, I want you to also think, I wonder when I'm going to have an opportunity to share the gospel. Because that's the true blessing. So can we can we hand those monies out? Would be great, and maybe just as they're doing that, one more, um, just a thoughtfulness around this money, guys. We are aware in our country that there are many people who are in need, and we want to be thoughtful around how we help. Sometimes giving someone money can be an enabler for things which are quite damaging in their lives. So we just feel to put that wisdom out there as we're giving this money. If you feel in your heart after some prayer that you would love to give to someone who might have a habit or something that you don't want to fund, can I make you aware of a really awesome partner of ours? Why don't you throw that, um, that screen up for me, Charles, if you would. These retailers, you can, we're going to leave it up afterwards so you can come and get a photo. You can go and for 10 rand, you can buy a voucher for someone for a night at the homeless shelter and you can buy a voucher for someone to go to a designated place and receive a meal. And you can get those at any time, guys. This is just, we're just making a highlight of it this morning. Shaul, who runs this, is going to come and speak to us soon. But you can go to any of those shops and you can get those vouchers. And we would just ask that if you feel that that's where you want to give this 20 rand, Won't you go, make the effort, get a voucher, and give those vouchers out? Can I pray for us as we close? Have we finished handing out? Okay, let me pray. Three minutes to 11, wonderful. Right on time. Father, firstly, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the blessing that you have poured out on us, pursuing us the hound of heaven, including us, your grace, your mercy over us, your forgiveness over us, your provision in our lives, the good gifts that you give to your church. Thank you, God. Thank you for raising us up. Thank you for sending us out with a message of blessing for our world. Holy Spirit, I invite you to do your work. I ask you to do your work in our hearts, Lord. Raise up from our midst, Lord. We have faith for church planters. We have faith for missionaries into different nations. And we have faith for the one-on-one coffee conversations around a football match or a family relationship that we know that we need to share the gospel. Father, the whole spectrum, we are yours. We surrender to you, Jesus. We love you.